This episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by the New York Roadrunners Virtual Turkey Trot 5K. Go to nyrr.org slash virtualracing slash alley to learn more about why turkey trots are the best ever. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. It is bonus episode day. I didn't want to wait to release this episode because I am so thrilled and honored to have Phoebe Wright as my guest today. Phoebe is a former professional runner. She was an 800 meter runner. She has several championship titles and podiums under her belt. And today she is a pharmacist, which I think is so cool. I wanted to have Phoebe on the show right now because she's been really vocal, particularly on Twitter, about some of the issues plaguing the sport of running right now. I love following her on Twitter, but I wanted to dive a little deeper right here. She was willing to do that. I was thrilled. Phoebe ran for Nike for six years, so she's got a lot to share. I hope you enjoy this discussion. It sheds a lot of light on the realities of being a professional runner. Cool? Let's go. Phoebe, welcome to the Alley on the Run show. Super excited to have you here today. How you doing? Great. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me on. All right. We have a lot to talk about. Before we get into all the good juicy stuff, warm us all up. Tell everyone who you are, where you're from, and what it is that you do. All right. So I am from Tennessee, born and raised. I dodged the accent, though, because my dad's Canadian and my mom's from Ohio. I went to undergrad at the University of Tennessee, where I uh, walked on and then got lucky because the coach there was incredible and somehow got my talent to shine. And I became five-time national champion. And um, I graduated and used my biochem degree in no way and became a professional runner for six years. And then I retired after the 2016 Olympics to focus back on a career in, um, well, sort of biochemistry, but I went to pharmacy school to get my PharmD. And I recently graduated with my PharmD in June. So yay for being a doctor. And um, I now am working, getting a postdoc in health economics. So like Medicare and Medicaid and the Medicare for all is near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I was going to say, well, first of all, that is a stacked resume right there. It's all very impressive. What is the with all the degrees that you're stacking up here, Dr. Wright? uh, What's the dream? What's the like big pipe dream with the career here? End goal. Um, This is so nerdy and nobody's going to understand this, but my my heart is like in insurance because if you work in insurance, you can do a lot of good for a lot of patients because you're making all these decisions on who gets what medication. And it's like a nice blend of being practical and clinical. So that's like my end career game is to kind of be making big decisions for insurance companies and policies. Well, you know that that makes me super happy to see that you want to help people and do things for the right reasons. I know we've bonded quite a bit over our... um, not, I wouldn't call it a shared love of IBD and Crohn's and colitis and all of that stuff, but I know that it's something that is near and dear to both of our hearts. Um, you shared with me that your dad had ulcerative colitis. Yeah, yeah. And it was difficult trying to navigate like what drugs were right and how to get access to drugs. And it was just a 
whole eye-opening experience. Yeah. Well, I love that you're uh, that you're getting into all of the good stuff and doing it for what just feels like really good, right reasons. So keep that up. We're going to get to more of the career stuff in a little bit. Um, but first, I think one of the reasons I started following you on Twitter many years ago is because I love your takes on things. And I feel like I could listen to you forever. We don't have forever, but if you're down for it, can we get into some like hot running topics today? Let's do it. All right. So we're going to go back in time a little bit. You were, you know, you touched on your running career, which we'll also get to in more depth, but you ran professionally for Nike for six years. Nike, you know, that seems like the dream for so many runners. But of course, we've kind of been learning over the past year or so that maybe running for Nike isn't the dream in reality. So um, where do you want to start with that? Yeah. So um, when I, so fun story, I watched um, Sarah Bowman, who's now Sarah Brown, go through the whole like recruiting process and going pro process a year before because she's a year ahead of me. So I kind of knew what I was getting into my senior year. And my goal senior year was to A, to do the best for my team, but B, be dominant and uh, win nationals. Because if you win nationals, then you have a lot of doors open for you for in terms of professional sponsorships. So um, like the whole year, I was having just the year of my life in 2010. And my least favorite race was nationals because there was just so much weird pressure to win and I thought that my career would be over if I didn't win nationals and so I remember just racing the two minutes and it was almost like a practice just like click off splits execute get it done and then I finished and I didn't even feel like super happy I just felt relieved which like looking back that's one of my big regrets from college like I should have I should have not put so much emphasis on professional running and thinking about like how professional running kind of took the joy out of running in general for me, it kind of makes me laugh because that should have been just the ultimate high of my career. But after I finished NCAAs, um, I got approached by an agent who's like, do you want to continue running? And I was like, yeah, I don't really know what I'm doing. He came to me with two deals, one with Brooks, one with Nike. He kind of didn't share with me what it meant to sign with either contract and or sign with either company and he was like you should sign with Nike because the salary the base salary is higher than with the Brooks salary and I was like yeah where do I sign this sounds great like I'm living the dream I'm getting paid to train um this is awesome but you don't realize that when you sign that contract it changes your relationship with running altogether so Like the pressure is unbelievable just because in the contracts, there'll be, um, you'll have good performance bonuses if you get top in the US. But if you're outside the top three in the US, you get this massive reduction, which I thought I could mentally handle. But it's like way more mentally taxing for your, your boss to say in a very real tangible way, you aren't doing a good enough job. And I got my first reduction after my second year running. And then my third year, I got like super bad food poisoning at USA's. So that was like $30,000 paycheck gone. Just oh my God. boom, just because of, a, of an illness. And it was like when it came to the end of the year where they could exercise the reductions, I just felt like nobody was in my corner. And then when I would email them and be like, 
you please don't reduce me. Um, they'd be like, why you like ran bad. <laughs> and it was just like a, a real, uh, like it was really disheartening because I had already beaten myself up over, um, you know, where I thought I was in my performance and then having like feeling so alone, like just kind of, uh, I don't know. It took the glamour out of it, if that makes sense. And you're what, like 22 at the time? Yeah, yeah. Man. Like super, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy what um, professional athletes are, are like so young and going through. <laughs> and, and on their own. I mean, I know that you can have, you know, you can have a manager, have an agent, but like still to know that every race so much money. So I'm not familiar. I didn't realize these reductions were a thing. Do you know, is that standard at most brands and companies or is that a Nike thing? Do you know where that falls? Well, I know with Nike, it's very standard. Still? Almost every, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, and like, it makes sense. They have to protect themselves from you just signing a contract that's five years or whatever and just sitting around and doing nothing and cashing in on it. I get that. Like in a normal job, if I don't show up, I'm going to get fired and they need some accountability. But man, these reduction clauses are steep. They're like hard to hit. Um, it's hard to stay above <laughs> the, the line. And when you fall below, it is just a steep cliff there. Dang, that is brutal. And it's interesting, too, obviously, you know, as we're talking about um, the different maternity leave and all of that stuff, which we'll also get into, um, it's been such an interesting conversation around like, hey, there's more to being a professional runner than just showing up and winning. Like there are so many ways to represent your brand, to be an advocate, like appearances and you know, just, it's been interesting to follow that. So I just, I, I can't even imagine the stress going into every race, knowing that you can lose money off a race. I always just associate it with, Hey, I could win today and get a bonus. Not, Hey, if I don't win, I really lose. Yeah. It's cutthroat, man. And then you have to sign these non-disclosures. So you can't even tell people what your salary is and you don't like, the industry thrives off exploiting the talent and keeping the talent separated and like being separate means that we don't have any power. And when you were at that stage in your career, were there other professional athletes either that you were training with or that you just knew that you were able to talk to this stuff about uh, or no? Yes, I had my team. Um, but like we still never discussed salary, never discussed reduction clauses. Um, yeah. Cause Sarah, I was training with Sarah Bowman and Chanel price and, um, Lauren Hagens. And we just never, never discussed any of that. The, it, the whole industry just, just thrives off secrecy. That is so crazy. And I mean, obviously it's good to see some of this stuff coming out now, but I just can't imagine being fresh out of college and trying to, navigate this and to have that physical and emotional pressure every single time you race and even training. I mean, how is it then even fun to go out for a training run knowing that there's so much riding on every run and every day? Like how, how quickly did you sort of, you know, you mentioned earlier kind of took the glamour out of it. How quickly did that happen for you? Um, weirdly training, I could compartmentalize a way like 
training has always been my safe space. So um, whatever was going on with the contracts or with the like professional side of professional running, whenever I stepped on the track, that was like the place I got joy because I was meeting my teammates and we'd we'd just hammer out a workout. Um, So luckily that stayed... um, stayed positive for me. But what, what really showed up was in races. So when you're racing in college, you're racing for your team and your performance matters for your team. And you have, you know, 30 women who are all racing just as hard as you are that are so excited to see you win. But in the professional world, no one, no one's like, no one's invested in your performance. And that was like, that's the biggest struggle that I had is I couldn't find my purpose. Like, cause the prize money didn't motivate me. Um, when you win, nobody's there to hug you or celebrate with you. Like it's just a super lonely, weird feeling <laughs> to, to be out there competing. And so the joy from competing kind of was what, um, I was the hardest for me to, or what's like, I regret losing. Oh man. So I want to talk a little bit about all the the dream maternity coverage, which of course came out earlier this year. Lindsey Krauss and the New York Times um, OpDocs team did a, a brilliant job sharing some of these stories. Alicia Montano, Allison Felix, Kara Goucher, and and you were part of this. Can you tell me a little bit about um, about being included in the dream maternity coverage? And I want to um, specifically mention this quote that you had in there, which was getting pregnant is the kiss of death for a female athlete. And you said there was no way you would tell Nike if you were pregnant. So I want to talk a little bit about how you got involved and if you can elaborate a bit on um, what that looked like during your time as a professional runner. Yeah, you bet. So the way the contracts are designed, if you do not run for 180 days, they can suspend your pay, but they still own the rights to your image, which means you can't go and find another contract, but you aren't making any money after that 180 day period. It's insane. And then when you get reinstated, so like say you start racing again and they have to honor the contract, it's at whatever your reduction because you're probably going to hit a reduction at some point during that 180 days, it's at your reduced rate, which oftentimes if you don't race for that long, your rankings fall so low that it's like a 50% reduction. It's insane. And yeah, it's, it's awful. So if they catch wind that you're pregnant, you best believe they're going to go back and look at when the last time you raced is, and that's when your clock starts. Whereas if you hide it and then just kind of like do the bare minimum to fulfill your contracts, then you might not get the pay suspension and you just take the hit with the reduction clause because you're probably going to have some performance drop because you're growing a human. It's crazy. So um, Lindsay contacted me and was like, do you want to comment on this? And I was like, absolutely. And I was like, I haven't had a baby, so I'm not sure if I'm qualified to to comment on this. And she was like, no, it's good because if you have a mother who got fired from Nike commenting, it looks bitter. But if you have an outside objective person who also worked for Nike, then it just kind of like provides street cred. And then I love Alicia and Kara. So I was like, absolutely done. So during your time at Nike, six years there, you know, we we heard the big stories, of course. We know Kara's story. Did you see this happening to other women? Did you see women hiding their pregnancies? What as the um as the outside voice or the uh, you know, 
as that person, what were you seeing? Well, Alicia raced eight months pregnant. Yeah. Um, and Kara came back and ran like a marathon of her life six months after giving birth. So like, it's just insane what these women were doing. And yeah, like motivation plays into it. But you know that that paycheck and that career is like really forefront and center, you know? So I remember I was rooming with Alicia. It was like eight months giving after giving birth to her first child. And it was at Pan Am's and she was pumping. She was like, I got to go pump. And then I got to put these like pads in my bra that are that like just soak up the milk that squirts out during <laughs> during my training run. And then I'm going to go like race and try and win uh, for the like represent my country. And she got second, which was yeah, it's just insane what when you see what the daily life is of a new mother who's just trying to keep their contract, but also like balance motherhood. And what's the reaction from the team when that's going on? Were you all like, wow, this is super inspiring? Or did you know, like, they're out here doing this because they have to? A little bit of both. Yeah, you always try and remain positive. And Alicia was just is the most positive person ever. So she would never let on that, that like, this was really hard for her. So um, you just kind of like feed into the positivity that she was, um, you know, alluding. So, yeah, well, it was all obviously this coverage was really pretty explosive. And, um, you know, it's been months and a lot of us are still talking about it. So the Alicia story and Kara's story comes out, which we knew a little bit like Kara's talked about it in a bit, but then Allison freaking Felix. That was awesome, man. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. You know that Nike had to just be totally screwing her over for her to come out like that because she's going to like when you're in a powerless position and the rest of your career is relying like is totally dependent on what you do. You aren't going to burn bridges. You don't have many bridges to walk across. So for her to just burn that bridge and then set the whole thing ablaze insane but that means you know that on the back end nike was not doing it right it they pushed so, too yeah i mean to be allison felix the like most decorated runner and human ever um yeah totally crazy so um then we can't not talk about all this mary kane stuff because you know this over the past week has really evolved as a story talking about her time with Nike, and I know it's different. She was training with Alberto Salazar, but I'm curious, were there any parts of Mary's story that have surprised you, and what has your reaction been to all of this coming out? Well, um, first, looking at Mary Kane's progression from the outside, uh, it was like you had this super joyful, talented, like, happy-go-lucky, just everything that's good about running, win these races, and the whole country was behind her. And then she signs with Alberto Salazar's group, and all of us in the professional world were like, oh, gosh, that's a that's a bad move. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't foster, <laughs> like, he's not that, like, great of a mentor to especially young athletes. He doesn't have a good reputation at um, not bending the rules. Like he's, he's always trying to find a 
easier way to win, uh, which isn't good when you when you're trying to take a young impressionable athlete and um, get them to be the best that they can be personally and athletically. So we all kind of I well I I know that the professional runners that I hang around we all looked at the decision and we're like she probably has no idea that she's grabbing the snake by the head just none and her parents don't know and they probably think it's just the dream to have this super decorated coach come to them and and offer to coach mary when on the inside you're like well yeah he's a decorated coach because it's really easy to coach if you're bending all these rules like you don't have to when you don't have to worry about recovery anybody can look like a genius and then um, when all of the stories from Mary Kane came out, I kind of knew a little bit because I'm so close with Steve Magnus, who is uh, the assistant coach of the group for a very short period of time. And he described the whole program as a circus. Um, but I didn't realize exactly how bad it would be for a young athlete. Because I think the older athletes kind of protect themselves a little bit or they can stand up for themselves or they're just going to do what's best for them. But when you have a super young, impressionable athlete that's just trying to please and be better and be great, then coaches have a lot of power. And I don't think that any of us realized how far she would be pushed down in the well. Yeah. I mean, it's heartbreaking. And I feel like it's, I hope it's not just the beginning of more stories coming out. I hope there are not more women who have been through what she's talking about. But I, you know, I think we know that they are out there. So um, it's super sad. And it's interesting to hear your perspective, too. So let's talk about training with Brooks and how that came about and what that looked like for you. Yeah. So I was with my college coach for the first three years of running professionally. But then I wanted to start grad school. And I felt like a change was needed because I was just getting stale in Knoxville. Like nothing was going right. Um, the even my coach's college team wasn't going right. And I think that he was so stressed about that, that um, I kind of, I don't know, just it wasn't working. It, the whole situation wasn't working. And so I looked for a change. And I looked for a place where I could train and I would have teammates, and that I could go to grad school and I wanted to go to pharmacy school. So that kind of left Seattle, Denver and Austin as the only real three viable options. And then I met with Danny Mackey and I was like, this, this seems right. This looks like a good fit. They meet daily, which I like as an 800 runner need constant supervision when I run <laughs> and need like a lot of verbal affirmation. So I need my coach to be there track side every day. So, um, that was like the, it was the right fit for me at that time. I love it. I, I relate to that. I don't need verbal affirmation in my running. I just need it in everything in life. I just always want someone by my side saying, you're doing great. That'd be yeah. great. Time for a quick pause for a word from our sponsor. I love turkey trots. I love turkey. I love trotting. My favorite distance right now is the 5K. So you know what I'm all about, right? No, you didn't figure it out based on my super tricky clues. I am all about a turkey trot 5K. So the thing is, not everyone gets to run a local turkey trot. Not every tiny town in America, like say, Kentuckuk, New Hampshire, has a Thanksgiving Day turkey trot. So if you live in a turkey trotless town, or even if you plan to run one, but you wanna step up your turkey trot game a little bit, 
do what I'm doing, run the New York Roadrunners Virtual Turkey Trot 5K. I know, you heard the word New York Roadrunners and you think, but I don't live in New York. That's the beauty of it all. You don't have to. You can live in Kintucook, New Hampshire, and you can run the NYRR Virtual Turkey Trot. Here's how it works and why it's fun. First, the New York Roadrunners Virtual Race Series is absolutely dominating the virtual race space right now. It has been so cool to see participation in these virtual races grow with thousands of people signing up for free and running them, getting on the leaderboards, even winning prizes and race entries and Strava upgrades and so much more. Second, virtual races are cool because you can do them anywhere anytime. You are your own race director and participant. All you have to do is sign up at nyrr.org slash virtual racing slash alley. It's free. Log your run on Strava, also free. And once you complete your run, which you can do anytime between November 23rd and December 1st, you'll see how you stack up against runners across the world. You get to be a part of the amazing NYRR community even if you don't put the New York in New York Roadrunners. So the last virtual race on the NYRR calendar is the Virtual Turkey Trot 5K, and I think we should all run it wearing turkey hats. Go to nyrr.org slash virtualracing slash alley, that's just A-L-I at the end there, and learn more about the benefits of virtual racing in the amazing global New York Roadrunners community. That's nyrr.org slash virtualracing slash alley. Cool. Let's get back to the show. All right. So um, this will be my last of the big picture questions, and then we'll get into some more specifics about you. But now that you're no longer a professional runner, a friend of mine who happens to be a, a professional writer about running, she mentioned that you have lots of thoughts on why promising athletes may drop off the radar. Is that true? Do you have thoughts on that? Well, I guess I don't know if this is what she's asking, but this is what I've noticed. Like, Four years into my professional career, Alice Schmidt got third at the Olympic trials and went to the Olympics. And she was like, I thought she was at the peak of her career. And then I just never saw her again, ever. And then I looked on Facebook and now she's a medical doctor. And at that time, I was like, why would anybody do that? Why wouldn't you like announce your retirement? And why wouldn't you... Like, why? how could you just move on? And then when it got towards the end of my career and I was, like, so jaded by the whole system, I was like, I'm going to wash my hands clean. I'm done. Like, this is not for me anymore. My heart's not in it. This is, see ya. I'm going to go be a real person. And I kind of did the same thing. And I think that Alice Schmidt was sponsored by Nike. I bet she got a big reduction after her like after her third and going to the Olympics because it wasn't good enough and she was old. <laughs> like we're not old. She was probably 27. Oh my gosh. But she was older. And so um yeah, the sport's brutal, man. Well, power to you. You're obviously very um very tough for for doing what you've done and I mean obviously we heard your extensive resume when we got started so we know that it was the beginning of lots of other really great things so talk to me about the role of being an advocate I know I mentioned that I've always loved following you on Twitter for example because I love getting your perspective I feel like you're a really good advocate for the running community and the running industry 
being an advocate, especially with all of this stuff, you have to have thick skin. You know, the internet is not always a nice place. The world is not always a nice place. Have you always had this good, strong conscience and thick skin and confidence? Um, well, I wouldn't say I'm like that confident, <laughs> but thanks. Uh, I, I come from a, I'm the daughter of a divorce attorney who's very opinionated at everything. And uh, like part of the whole thing about me being an advocate is just because I can't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and I like can my husband says he's jealous of me for this, but I can, I think it's, I don't know. I can only think about one thing at one time. So like if people say something bad about me on the internet or, um, I don't know, haters going to hate, then yeah, it hurts in the moment, but I just don't have the mental bandwidth to think about that while I'm doing something else. So, and I'm always like doing something else. So it's like, I don't know. It's not like I, have thick skin it's like i don't have the capacity to care <laughs> i like that i think that might be even better i think that's a great perspective and if and hey i think if people are listening and they think like but i'm not doing something else so i am reading the comments find something else to do learn how to knit yes, go do something yeah. love it i mean because like say you're doing a track workout and you're trying to hit intervals and you're focused all the time then you don't you can't think about what um some anonymous person said on a let's run message board. You just, you're not thinking about it. It's just like not in your world. And it's empowering, I guess, to be that way. Uh, what issues, I know we've touched on a bunch of them already, but looking at running right now, what issues in running are most important to you right now? I think Mary Kane's push to make girls sports better is near and dear to my heart, just because fostering the youth and fostering young talent and especially women because women are kind of just hardwired a little bit different than men. We're so eager to please. We just want to do everything right. And that can be taken advantage of. And I think that inspiring the system to be better and the system to hold everybody accountable and for women to feel like they uh, have the authority to say, no, that's not right, is really important for the health of the sport. Yeah, and I think we're just getting started on that front. So let's keep that that good motivation going. Yeah. All right. So one thing that is near and dear to my heart talking about running is the topic of overtraining. It is something that I have been through and, of course, did not realize until after the fact. It's something that I see happening all the time, something that I think social media makes worse because people just want to go, 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 go. Can you talk to me about your experience with overtraining, what you learned from it, any advice that you might have? Mm, yeah, I've been in the well before. <laughs> I After my senior year, um, I think that this is a trap that a lot of coaches and athletes fall into. They're like, doing this much training made me this good. So if I do a little bit more training, then I'll be a little better. And then they keep pushing the line. And when I graduated, I pushed the line a little bit too far. So I was sleeping in an altitude tent when I really didn't know what, like, I don't know how to use an altitude. Nobody knows how to use an altitude tent. <laughs> Like, what was I doing? And then um, uh, my workouts were starting to get insane, and I just tanked. And it was the first time in my career that I had, like, 
not been in control of my body because normally when I line up, I'm like, well, I'm just going to run my best. And like, even if it's hard or even if I make it ugly, it's still going to be pretty good. And then when I was in the overtraining spell, I would like try really hard and my results just got worse and worse. And it was just like, if I can't trust my body, then, then I don't know where to get confidence from. So what advice do you have for people who might be going through it and might not recognize that that's why they're struggling right now? Yeah, I guess the signs of overtraining are first, I would always notice it in easy runs. If like, it was really difficult for me to go out and do an easy run and have that motivation, then that's like red flag. Um, and you can like feel that way, uh, you know, once a week or whatever. But when you string together a couple of days like that in a row, then you need to really take a step back. Um, and then the next thing to go would be the your kick at the end of races. So if you were racing well, and now you just feel flat and like you have no kick on that last 150, then that's a sign that you're probably overtrained. And then the last thing to go are your interval workouts, because for whatever reason, you can like game up for an interval. And like the body can produce enough of a hormonal response to get through the workout. But then when the workouts start tanking, then you're like, you're really in the hole there. So um, how do you get out of it? It would be, oh gosh, it takes time, man. And it depends on how, how deep your well is. Like if you're at the point where you've been overtrained for months, then it's going to take you months to get out of it. And I think that the best way I've talked with Steve Magnus a lot about this is like just time off and strides. I think strides are a little bit better than just easy jogging because easy jogging, your body kind of gets used to just feeling like, like a slog <laughs> and you need some, uh, strength or intensity component, um, just to kind of get your body used to running again. And there's like no good rule on when to come back to training. So it's, it's rough if you really get in that hole. Yeah, I've been there. That hole sucks. It's lonely yeah. too. Yeah, it's not very fun. Um, one thing that I love you've written before that on the track, people say that when you race, they can see the heart you put into it. I want to know what does that mean to you? And I remember reading you said that was the greatest compliment a runner can receive. Why is that? Um, I so I coach when I was coaching kids, they'd be like, "So and so is more talented than me," and I'm like, "Talent doesn't matter if you got motivation. Like, if you if you will yourself, then you can make up a lot of ground on talent and um, coming like." being a walk-on and then becoming national champ, I feel like I had that. Like I just had the chip on my shoulder that I wasn't the most talented, but it didn't matter because I was going to get it done anyway. And I just carried that passion every step of the way at the 800 meters. And it's awesome that people could see that. That probably means I looked like super fugly when I was <laughs> coming down the home stretch. <laughs> but um, it's good that people recognize my my hard work and like, just willpower, you know. I love it. All right. I want to talk a little bit. I know we're we're getting down to the wire on time, but I need to ask my my pharmacy related questions. I mostly want to know 
going to school to become a pharmacist, to pursue the career that you're pursuing, what does the schooling look like and what's surprising about it? Like how much crossover is there with med school? Can you draw my blood? Can you, do you have your own prescription pad? What do I, what do, what can you tell me? Oh yeah. Okay. Plug for being a pharmacist. It's great. Uh, it's four years of schooling, which sucks. Um, and it's great. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, but just the schooling. Well, I love school, so it was great for me. Just the whole tuition thing kind of sucked. Um, but the school is a lot of it's a lot of clinical learning. So in med school, you're taught a systematic way to look at a group of system, uh, um, symptoms and diagnose. In pharmacy school, you get like the complement of that. So you're looking at a diagnosis and thinking about it systematically on which drug to prescribe. So it's like, it's almost like a doctor is an architect for a house. And then you're kind of like building the house based on those plans and deciding like which tool to use where. (laughs) Cool. I love a metaphor. So this is helpful. I like this. Yeah. So it's like all about tools. Like... You get a person, a patient comes in and they have high cholesterol and they have a kidney issue. You're like, which which cholesterol med is going to provide the most benefit? So you look at all the cholesterol meds and you kind of like say the pros and cons of each and then you pick the right one for the patient. Cool. So well, it's, it's a lot of um, thinking about the patient and thinking what's best for the patient, which I really, really like. And that's why pharmacists are so nice. I feel like I preach this on this show all the time. Pharmacists and nurses, you know, with a chronic illness, I see a lot of all of them. And it's always the pharmacists and the nurses that advocate for me, that have my back, that get me my medicine when I need it, that deal with all the stuff. So, um, yeah. yeah. So I'm like team nurse, team pharmacist all the way. So thank you, you know, and I really mean this from someone who really relies very heavily on the kindness of humans in the medical industry. I am so super grateful for people like you who truly care about the patients. And I, I hope you know, it sounds like you do, how much of a difference you're making in a lot of people's lives. Hey, thanks. And I'll remind Gosh, you of that every day. I counter all the time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so since you're not on the track as much, having someone cheer you on, I'll come up to your pharmacy counter and just be like, you're doing great. Your work is important with all the positive affirmations at work. No, seriously, it matters because most people are like, why are you going so slow? And you're like, "Yeah, there's so much that has to go into making sure that you get the right drug. Like um, nice. my husband's dad was talking about he was like, I'm not sure if my, my doctor prescribed me the right thing. It's this antibiotic. I'm supposed to take it four times a day. And then I was like, well, you can take it twice a day. That's fine. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, did he prescribe the right thing? And I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a doctor that just kind of like did a double check of whatever your doctor prescribed just to kind of like spot check and be like, yeah, this is right. And he was like, yeah, why don't they have that? I was like, that's your pharmacist, man. <laughs> he was like, oh, that's your daughter-in-law, man. <laughs> amazing well you're doing great work and i could talk about all of that stuff we'll have to do a second episode where we just talk about all the pharmacist stuff because i'm fascinated by it but because we've only got three minutes to spare i need your kick we're gonna sprint to the finish you ready yeah what would your last meal on earth be oh my gosh mexican uh burrito with some queso and guacamole favorite movie it would be what we do in the shadows. Oh, favorite TV show. Right now it's a typicals because that's what I'm binging. <laughs> Love it. Greatest fear. 
um, not having any friends. Oh, you have friends you, and you have me, your positive <laughs> affirmation person. Yeah. <laughs> What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Um, I put on coffee. Last thing you do before you close your eyes at night? Check Twitter. Ooh, that's lame, huh? I it's, should change that. <laughs> no, it's very it's a very popular answer. Some form of social media is usually in the answers to those questions. Just fall asleep spooning my phone. <laughs> spooning my phone. Amazing. Um, where's your happy place? Um, in the middle of a national forest. Love that. Who was your childhood celebrity crush? Oh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Same, the best one. <laughs> Where did you have your first real kiss? Um, to my husband or my now husband in his in his car. Nice. What about like your first real kiss? Like first ever? Yeah, that's it. That's it. It was with your husband? Yeah. Oh my God, that's the cutest thing I've ever heard. That yeah. is beautiful. Oh, it's like pretty lame, but no, it's I like still like him, you know, 17 years later. Oh and the gosh. other day I was like, we've almost been together as much as we haven't. And he was like, no, we haven't. And I was like, yeah, I'm 31. We started dating when we were like 16 or 17. Yes, it is. <laughs> he was like, oh. And you did like a pub run for your wedding. You guys are so cool. Yeah, we we try pretty hard to be cool, so that's good that it's like um, looks like we're cool to other people. It looks like you're very cool. Uh, if you could go for a run with anyone, who would it be? Oh, um, maybe Malcolm Gladwell. Ooh, good answer. Uh, yeah. What one word do you want to be remembered by? Mm. Enthusiastic. Love that. All right. You said earlier that you don't know that you have a lot of confidence. I'm going to force it out of you right now. Tell me three things you love about yourself. Oh, um, I love my sense of humor because I can make myself laugh. And I love that I have short term memory. So things don't bother me for very long. And I love that people can rely on me. Love those. The last thing I need from you is to please give everyone listening a reason to run today. Oh, is it sunny out? Because I haven't seen the sun in a few days because it's Seattle. So if it's sunny out, you better go outside right now and run for me. (laughs) I love it. And Phoebe, I truly have loved having this conversation with you. I think that we should do this like every couple months and just get your take on the running industry because I I know that I really appreciate your voice. And I know that um, that's probably a pretty common sentiment out there. So keep doing what you're doing and and helping people and changing lives and and by the way you do have a little bit of an accent oh wow oh that's good it came out and i really liked it yeah oh thanks (laughs) uh but truly thank you for being here and for doing this and for having these conversations yeah thanks so much for having me Thank you so much for hanging out with Phoebe and me today. I learned so much in this quick conversation, and I hope that you did too. If you loved the episode and you're enjoying what you're getting here, show some love. Head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review for the Alley on the Run show. Remember, you can always find and follow me on Instagram. I'm Allie on the Run 1, and I'm on the Allie on the Run Facebook page big thank you again to the New York Roadrunners Virtual Turkey Trot 5K for sponsoring this episode. 
Go register today and run your 5K anytime between November 23rd and December 1st. Learn more and register for free at nyrr.org slash virtual racing slash alley. That is nyrr.org slash virtual racing slash alley. Just A-L-I there at the end. Stay happy, stay healthy out there, and thank you for joining me on the run. 